Our beer of the week this week is Happy Holidays IPA from our friends over at Noda Brewing here in Charlotte. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving tends to kick off the holiday season. I thought, what better drink to have this week than a holiday-themed beer? Yeah, uh, like you said, pre-recording, it's got hints of pine, I think I think was the yeah. term you used. And it's, it's a good beer uh, for a good podcast this week. We got a lot of content for you guys. I'm Stephen Patton, your host, joined by my co-host and dear friend Jacob LaCroix. Here on Perfect Takes, we're going to break down obviously the loss that we took to the Dallas Cowboys at home a lot to go over and the first play seemed to be pretty indicative of how the rest of it went uh do you want to kind of delve into kind of that Parsons pressure and just his impact on the game all day Sunday well we're gonna definitely be talking about Parsons probably in the best performances section but that entire Cowboys D-line was just wreaking havoc on us the entire day they had 23 sacks hits or hurries which are pressures on 29 dropbacks from Bryce Young, and this is according to PFF. So 23 over 29, that's just around 80% of his dropbacks. He's dealing with a Cowboys D lineman harassing him. And like you said, that first play of the game, pressure from Micah Parsons. Bryce has to escape, run out of the pocket. He ran for four or five yards, I think, with Parsons chasing behind him. And that was just a macrocosm or microcosm, rather, of what the whole day was going to be like. It was. Uh, Chandler Zavala was not ready for a lot of the stunts or even the one-on-one -on -one matchups that he had with Micah Parsons. It was a long day. And I mean, this was something we were anticipating. We allowed a 50% pressure rate or north of 50% against the Chicago Bears. And they are literally uh, bottom of the league in terms of the total overall sacks. So you go up against the Cowboys ferocious D-line, you know it's only going to be that much worse. And sure enough, that's that's exactly what happened. Bryce was under duress. Uh, there were there were a couple bright spots. We pulled the game to within seven at the end of the third quarter with a Bryce to Tommy Tremble connection. So there there were a couple things to kind of pull away from this. But like most Panther games, once the fourth quarter hit, uh, the opposing team tends to pull away, and that's exactly what the Cowboys did. Well, I think I remember saying last week that this game could end up being like the Dolphins game where. We led 14 to nothing. We're like, oh, are we in this? Are we doing this? And then they scored 35 in a row, and we weren't doing it. It was kind of similar this game. 17 to 10, like you were saying, in the third quarter. Kept it relatively close, and then the Cowboys scored. Bryce threw the pick six, and then I believe it was a strip sack the following possession on Bryce, yep. where he was sacked three plays in a row, which is just insane. But a uh, strip sack as he almost escaped the pocket. So it was almost just a regular fumble, but they got him. And I believe they ended up scoring there. I think it was just actually just a field goal there as well. Yeah. But uh, once the floodgates opened, it was just over. It was uh, as soon as the like we scored 17, 10, they immediately drove down the field. Tony Pollard had a nice uh, touchdown run, just bouncing off defenders. And then, like you said, uh, the pick six, and there's, there's a lot to get into with that. Uh, there was clearly a rookie mistake with Mingo. He's supposed to be running a drag route. He runs it a little bit deeper than he should. And if he's where he's supposed to be on the field where Bryce throws it, uh, it's probably a completion or at the very least just an incompletion. Um, and, and what we had instead is Duran Bland made a terrific play. He has been a ball hawk all year. You've raved about him. Um, and he, he made a play. He, he undercut the route. Uh, he made the pick six uh, or pick, and then he rolled on the ground and then got up and made the pick six. So I uh, just, I, that's the kind of stuff that I, I miss seeing our defense make. Uh, I, I remember the days with like Luke Keekly and uh, some of the Josh Norman plays or uh, other Kurt interceptions we get uh, captain Munnerlyn back in the day, just anything on defense to kind of generate some of that. We had Frankie Louvu last year uh, with a great pick six against the Cardinals. So, um, it's, it's stuff like that that I miss, and I feel like we haven't gotten a lot of this year. And a lot of that is due in part to the injuries that we've had on the defense. Yeah, as far as the defense goes, I think that obviously they didn't have a great day. But for the, mo the majority of the game, particularly the first half, we were just like beleaguered by dumb penalties, like uh, mm -hmm. late hits, face masks. That's what allowed them to get 10 points in the first half. We could have realistically gone into the locker room leading 10 to 7 or 10 to 3. But it was just dumb stuff like that. I think Troy Hill had a very good day covering C.D. Lamb up until everything kind of broke free. And uh, it wasn't Dante Jackson's best day. I know he uh, got nicked up there, I believe, in the third quarter. But 
just not a great day for either unit of the ball. And both the personnel of the Cowboys and the coaching staff, as your model uh, indicates, just outclassed the Carolina Panthers. So I think this was to be expected, but I think it was still disappointing given that it was relatively close for a good chunk of the game. It was, and that's all you can hope for with games nowadays. Um, I wish we had some offensive production to look forward to. I mean, 100 combined snaps between DJ Chark, a guy that we spent money on in free agency on a one-year deal, and then Jonathan Mingo, we spend a like a high second rounder on. Um, they combine for one catch for six yards. Like, it's mm-hmm. just that that's unacceptable. Uh, what we've seen from this offensive line is completely unacceptable. Uh, we aren't playing to our team's strengths. And like that that shows with just the play calling. Like this is finally, I think, one of the first weeks that we've ran 12 personnel, like above 20%. And the EPA per play, I mean, that's that's the touchdown we scored. But EPA per mm-hmm. play, it's just the efficiency metric. Uh, we were 0.17, which is really good. And then in 11 personnel, we were negative. And obviously the pick six has a huge influence on that final rating um, but it's it's just we haven't operated well with three wide receivers on the field. Uh, we're going up against another defense this week that likes to run a lot of nickel and dime package looks. And having bigger bodies on the field is going to make life easier in the run game and the pass game. And that's just something we need to lean into more uh, as the season concludes. Well, you talk about the success we had in 12 personnel. Throughout the week, uh, following the debacle of Frank Reich uh, recalling the play calling duties from Thomas Brown, reporters asked him what the strengths were last year. Do you, did you notice that we were a good power run team? He said yes. He said the strengths of the O-line were in the power run game. But then he said we're an 11 personnel team and we're not going to be playing smash mouth football. And so I suppose that's his philosophy. But even during the game, there was a drive where we did play a little smash mouth football. And it was that touchdown drive where we lived in 12 personnel. He called multiple back-to-back like inside power runs. And they were each first downs. Miles Sanders was eating on the ground for a time as well. Everybody was he had a phenomenal yeah. double block at one point that sprung Miles Sanders free. And it's stuff like that where it's like if yeah, he pancaked the guy. Strengths. Oh, yeah, like man. 10 yards downfield. And we scored there. I, I get the feeling that Frank Reich went into that drive. He's like, I'm going to call these uh, runs just to show them that they don't work. But they worked. So, like, hopefully something's gotten through to not only Reich, but the offensive staff that, hey, maybe we do need to lean a bit more on the run game because we have a rookie QB that may be developing bad habits and he's struggling. And the run game seems to work, even against a good uh, defensive line in the Cowboys, when we commit to running the ball or when we commit to having extra personnel and then getting involved in the pass game. Over the past two weeks, the only two explosive pass plays we've had were the stray hand play action one against the Bears on Thursday night. And then Stephon Sullivan had a, uh, I believe it it was like a uh, deep corner that he ran to the left. And that was also, I believe, out of 12 personnel. I believe we had him and Tremble on the field that play. And so... Like, these are the things you have to do to get stuff moving in this just horrible offense. I think they need to commit to it more. And like you said, the Titans D-line, it's not as good as the Cowboys, but they still have really good players in Jeffrey Simmons and Tayer Tart on the inside, which is where our offensive line tends to struggle. So giving them some run plays to give them some rhythm, some power plays may help them in their pass sets. And it'll be huge. I mean, the Cowboys offense wasn't afraid of – what we were doing to the point that they played dime 69% of the time. Most of the time teams play nickel, which is five defensive backs. The Cowboys on almost 70% of their plays on Sunday had six out there. And then to boot, they had seven defensive backs for about 19% of the plays. So for about 90% of the plays, the Cowboys defense had six or more defensive backs on the field. Like they they were daring us to run and we just didn't lean into it because again, we don't have an offensive identity. The strengths that we do have on offense, we don't lean into. And th- it, it was Dan Quinn daring us to do it. And, and sure enough, exactly like you said, when we ran some of those inside power looks, we were successful in it. And it's just sometimes you got to play the numbers and not go, this is our team's identity. Because exactly like you're saying in that presser, Reich is going, our identity is 11 personnel. No, it isn't. You, you, you ship out DJ Moore, you bring in some journeymen that you, you don't have a wide receiving core. And that that's the, the crux 
of 11 personnel is you have more skilled positions on the field rather than big bodies that can be used for blocking and the pass game. Yeah, I love what Adam Thielen's been able to do for us this year. And even with the struggles of Chark and Mingo, they're not going to be getting open when they have seven people dropping back to cover our not like our receivers that already can't get open. So I don't know. Hopefully, like you said, this upcoming week, we do lean into our strengths. But moving forward to something more positive, we have Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of days. And I thought a little fun segment would be to look at what we're thankful for this football season. Uh, and if I could start, I would. I would go with Josh Dobbs' ascendance to being an actual valuable NFL starter. Uh, I'm going to share his, uh, his, uh, his stats here, his game logs. He got drafted to Pittsburgh, right? Didn't play at all his first year. He was inactive, actually, most of the games. Was there another year. Got in uh, at the end of some games. I believe that was uh, a Roethlisberger injury year that year. Um, then he ends up on Jacksonville after that. I believe Pittsburgh cuts him. He ends in 2019, up on a different, so yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, couple different teams. You see Oakland, or yeah, Jacksonville. Uh, back on Pittsburgh. Uh, this was 2020. So this was, uh, yeah. Four this years was into ben his Biggs, career. Yeah. I think this was Big Ben's second to last year. It was the last year on his contract before they extended him, which was super weird that year. Pittsburgh again. Cut from Pittsburgh. Ends up on Cleveland. But his cut from there ends up on Detroit, ends up on Tennessee, where he played that playoff game, or the the week before the playoffs, rather. Uh, He started against Jacksonville. Then he started this year on Cleveland's roster. Arizona trades for him. He starts all these games for Arizona. Super serviceable. Then the Vikings trade for him at the deadline. And you see what he was able to do with the Vikings. Uh, He's just been an excellent NFL QB so far this year. And it's nice to see a guy that's been a career backup, been around the league a little bit, kind of break through the backup mold and get some real playing time and put on some good tape. This is a guy that's going to be moving forward, probably a guy that's highly sought after, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick or uh, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, something like that. And I don't say that as an insult. Uh, and they, they have more than just their QB play in common. They're both like super geniuses. I believe uh, Dobbs's degree was in aerospace science and engineering. And so it, it's just cool to see a guy that uh, has been relegated to the back for most of his career to finally break through. And hopefully this can springboard him to start for a team that might be in a transition year next year. Or if not, be a very uh, highly sought after backup like Andy Dalton was for us this year or like uh, McCown or Fitzpatrick were throughout their careers. I I think he gives off. And I think it's uh, funny that you brought up kind of where he's been throughout his career since being drafted or I don't think he was drafted, but brought in by Pittsburgh his rookie year is last year he's with the Browns and another guy who did really, really well got himself a nice little paycheck to uh, become the backup in Washington was Jacoby Brissett. And that's exactly what you're seeing with Dobbs. He learned from Big Ben. Uh, he obviously had that time with Kevin Stavansky last year. And then he he kind of did that journeyman thing. He was with Tennessee at the end of last year. He was back with Cleveland, got shipped out to Arizona, and then he shipped back to Minnesota. And he's just been all over the place. I think that time in the NFL, being with kind of all those different teams, he's been able to pick up playbooks relatively quickly. And when you're in Kevin O'Connell's system in Minnesota, because that's kind of where he's he's been thriving so far, is he's got playmakers around him from Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson. He's got a great offensive line. Like it's a top 10, I think arguably almost top five unit. And he's just able to sit back there and kind of digest kind of what's going on and, and dissect it from there. And it's it's been cool to see. Like you said, this is this is a really cool player um, to kind of follow along and, and root for. Like he truly is kind of fits that underdog mold story. And it'd be cool if the Vikings get to the playoffs. He puts up some more statistical numbers. I, I think this is a guy where I know the argument is like, what did he come back from? But that Geno Smith argument of like, this is a comeback of the uh, comeback player of the year award, in my opinion. Yeah, I could certainly see that. And you talked about him being able to sit back and dissect and digest. He was doing it with his legs too. I mean, he has a rushing touchdown in six games this year and all of his last five, he has at least one rushing touchdown. And that's what won him the game against the Falcons where he came in following the injury to Jaron Hall was his ability to move the ball with his legs, especially that uh, incredible fourth down fourth down run where he went like 50 yards to gain 19. But uh, he's just a very good player and 
really cool to root for a guy like that this year. Absolutely. Speaking of things we're thankful for, I am extremely thankful that we've had an uptick in defensive play, not only this year, but the past two years. And we saw all this offensive production towards the end of the 2010s. Mahomes, um, Herbert, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. It seemed like there was very little defenses were doing to stop these guys. And then all of a sudden, uh, we've seen a lot more too high shells and cover four looks and and different things to take away some of those deep shots that some of these quarterbacks were living on. And it forces guys to play within structure, within the rhythm of the system that they're in. And it's very cool to see who's adapted. And some of the better quarterbacks, some of the guys that just mentioned, Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, they're still very good quarterbacks and they're still producing. But the numbers just aren't what they are. And it's it's part of the reason why we, when you get to the MVP uh, conversation later today, I, it's it's hard to put a quarterback up there. I understand, like, yes, they are the most valuable position in football, but, like, this isn't a stellar year for these guys. And that's it's been cool to see, uh, especially guys like Mike McDonald, uh, Jim Schwartz, Dan Quinn, scheming up various um, coverages that just really befuddle a lot of uh, quarterbacks dropping back. Yeah, I think, uh, and you talk about the play callers. I think we're going to see a lot of defensive coordinators be the favorites for jobs in this cycle. Obviously, Ben Johnson's one of the main guys on offense, but like you said, Mike McDonald, Jim Schwartz, uh, Aaron Glenn. My, uh, I already said Mike McDonald, but there's a ton of Dan Quinn. Again, he was a head candidate last year, too. These are guys that are just uh, making it confusing for offenses to play against them. And like you talked about, when we look at the, the MVPs later, I thought maybe Mahomes might break away uh, with the game last night. Obviously, they didn't. And both he and Hurts didn't look very good. And now Hurts apparently leads the league in MVP odds. So I do think it's <laughs> it's uh, going to be still be the best QB or QB on the best team award. But the defensive play is definitely wreaking havoc this year among the NFL. And I think one way to break that, and this is the other thing that I'm thankful for, is with exceptional wide receiver play. And I want to highlight three main receivers so far this year, and I'll highlight one rookie as well. I think Jordan Addison has been incredible to start this year, especially without Justin Jefferson for the majority of his play. He's just uh, he looks everything how it looks like everything he did, how he played in college at both USC and Pitt. But the three main guys I want to look at were Tyreek Hill. Well, before Hill. you move on, before you move oh. on, Jordan Addison. This was a really cool tweet, and I knew you'd like it. So this is more just uh, spot of the moment. Uh, it was that Jordan Addison, he was at Pittsburgh. He made Kenny Pickett look good. He got drafted in the first round. He goes to USC, makes Caleb Williams look great, gets drafted in the first round. He makes Kirk Cousins look like an MVP candidate. And exactly like what you talked about, he makes Josh Dobbs look really good in Minnesota. So this is a guy that I think is underrated. He was your number one wide receiver coming out of the draft, and he's looking every bit of it so far. So I think that that's a the good take you had. And it's definitely a great wide receiver to highlight here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the thing that I value most when I look at wide receivers coming into the league is their ability to run run routes and get open. And nobody over the past two years, including the draft uh, two years ago that had Olave, Garrett Wilson, everybody like that, nobody was able to run routes and get open better than Jordan Addison. So I don't think it's a surprise that he's able to dominate in the NFL despite his smaller size. This is not a guy that has a high Ross score. I believe it was like 5.2, 5.4. It was definitely among the lower end of highly drafted wide receivers, but this is a guy that just gets open, and that's something incredibly valuable to not only seasoned QBs like Kirk Cousins, but a guy like Josh Dobbs who hasn't had a ton of experience as a starter. Being able to get open and beat your NFL DB is just a, a crazy valuable skill, and he's a guy that does that an exceptional level. And then three other guys I wanted to highlight that also are very good at that, maybe not as good, but Tyreek Hill certainly is good. He, uh, I believe at one point he was on pace for – almost 2,000 yards that might have tailored off uh, over the past couple of weeks. A.J. Brown, who had that incredible stretch of like, what was it, six or seven games of 125 yards. Mm -hmm. And C.D. Lamb, who's had his own very, very good stretch that I think we broke. I think uh, he didn't get 150 yards and a touchdown against us, but he had an incredible stretch before that. These three receivers, I think, are elevating their teams. We talk about how QBs aren't playing super well this year, but some of the guys that we'll talk about in the MVP conversation later 
uh, Jalen Hurts, who now leads the league in MVP odds. Dak Prescott, who's broken into that MVP conversation. I know you want to talk about him. And Tua Tagovailoa, who's kind of tailored off because he he's slowing down from his nuclear start. But I think he should still be up there given his team's record and the way their offense is still performing. But none of these quarterbacks could do it without their wide receiver ones, I don't think. I think these guys are really driving their teams. And hopefully we can see one or two more receivers step into that mold moving forward. I know last year we, we kind of just had Justin Jefferson and everybody followed behind him. But I think yep. this year there's a trifecta, at least at the top, uh, that the, that can lead the rest of the receiving group this year to uh, improving their stance in awards like Offensive, or Offensive Player of the Year and MVP. I, I totally agree. The three guys you listed off, um, they're they're top of their craft. Those are top five wide receivers right now in the NFL, uh, and they're fun to watch. Uh, every Sunday, they they force the defenses to respect what they do. Uh, they force bracket coverage, and it, it's it's exciting to see because then that opens things up for the rest of the offense, and that means your number two wide receiver is getting less attention, and you can get the ball to him if that number one's taken away. And it's just it's it's a very cool ripple effect in the NFL and teams that are prioritized that position uh, have definitely uh, felt the benefits and reaped the benefits of that. And so the last thing that we're thankful for before we move into the one game that we want to touch on this week is that I'm, I'm thankful for this podcast. This is something that's been really fun. Uh, we are actually on episode 20 today. So really cool milestone to be on right before Thanksgiving. And it's it's been very uh, cool learning process as we've gone through this, as we've gotten better. This is something that I think each week we we kind of improve on. We we take things and we tweak, and it's hopefully something that will get to the point where uh, we, we give you guys a lot of great content week in and week out, um, and we just keep getting better from that. So with that, uh, good game that we enjoyed this past Sunday. I think it was a little bit of a shocker. Uh, did not expect Chicago to be in this game, but Chicago at Detroit – um, turned out to be a really exciting game, uh, one where Jared Goff had a wild comeback in the fourth quarter. What were some of the key takeaways you took away from kind of this uh, game and the implications it might have for Fields and the Chicago Bears offense moving forward? Well, you said Chicago was in. You were surprised they were in this game. They were dominating this game for a good portion of it, despite uh, like a fumble from DJ Moore in this, or not DJ Moore, uh, Tyler Scott in the second. They were still cooking uh, for they about were. two and a half, three quarters. But then uh, somebody said on Twitter that after Justin Fields did a first down dance that uh, they didn't move the ball anymore and the Lions came back. And that might be true, but I thought Fields played outstanding in his return to play for the Chicago Bears. He had that really nice deep touchdown to DJ. He was moving around in the pocket, uh, evading pressure at a good rate, finding open receivers, even though some of the receivers like Scott didn't help him move the ball down the field. I just thought he had a great game overall. And I saw a report, and I, I don't know how true this is because when it comes to future draft prospects or anything that uh, teams always like to throw out smoke, they tell people incorrect things to get smoke out there in the uh, in the Twitter sphere and in the media. But uh, I saw something that said the Bears would have to be enamored with uh, Caleb Williams or Drake May and Fields would have to regress a ton for them to be able to consider a new quarterback. I don't know how true that is, but I certainly thought that the two games prior to Fields getting injured, like the, the, uh, the Denver and Washington game, and then I believe, yeah, he got injured the next game. And then he comes back with this one. I think he's taken a very good step with those games there. Uh, like I said, I don't know if he's the Bears QB moving forward, but I definitely think he's an NFL QB moving forward throughout the rest of this year and next year. I, I think the biggest thing, and there's been a lot of people in the analytics community, especially over the past several months and this past kind of draft season that argued that taking like two quarterbacks in the same draft, because the Bears have probably two top five mm -hmm. picks going into this next year is, is a good thing. And so I would say if they end up with the first overall pick and say like pick five, that why not take Drake may, because you can trade him. He's still a very, very valuable trade asset. And what you kind of highlighted with Justin Fields is he was out for a stretch of games this year. He was out for a stretch of games last year. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a, a capable backup that could become the franchise and would allow you to move on from Justin Fields in a contract year. 
Um, so it's those kind of things that I think the Bears front office still needs to consider, even if they like how Fields kind of plays and progresses throughout the rest of the season, because he hasn't been always available. And that's the one thing with mobile quarterbacks. Once you start hitting that second contract, injuries tend to pop up a little bit more. So that's just something to be worried about moving forward. Yeah, he hasn't been available or consistent, but I think the uh, if he could continue to play like down the stretch, the way he's been able to play at the high points this year, I think they are going to have a tough decision on their hands uh, come draft time. The other QB, however, who had been playing pretty well last year, uh, he, he had a good start this year. Jared there Goff. Were, there and, were some rumblings that he was going to be in the MVP conversation there, and then this game were. happened. There were, and uh, he's certainly not there now. We can uh, put that to bed. But in inside a dome in the Lions Stadium, Jared Goff threw three interceptions. Like, what? Jared Goff indoors should be prime Dan Marino, but he slipped up this game early in the game. All three interceptions came, I believe, before the end of the third quarter. Uh, but they bounced back. After uh, after their rocky start, they were able to lean on Montgomery and Gibbs, who I know you want to talk about here in a second. He was able to move the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown. Jamison Williams caught a touchdown, which was really nice to see where it's it's funny. Every time Goff throws to JMO, it seems like JMO has to turn around and slow down. That's what the touchdown was, too. He had turned around and was kind of like backpedaling instead of running for the ball, but he got a touchdown. And it was a really cool offensive performance uh, towards the end of the game there for the Lions and cool offensive performance for the Bears at the start of the game. It was. It was It was a lot of high power uh, plays in terms of pass plays. You had the big DJ Moore touchdown that you talked about, then the Jamison Williams touchdown in the fourth quarter. And I think what really stymed Jared Goff, uh, especially early on in the game, is Matt Eberflus uh, runs cover two about 22% of the time. He's really good at it. Uh, it's a coverage he deployed really well in Indianapolis, and that's what gives Goff's fit. Um, it was something that Arjun Menon with PFF, he kind of highlighted going into the game, and he he wondered if Goff would struggle, and sure enough, he did. And so it'll be interesting to see if defenses try to deploy the same kind of cover two looks and see if they can kind of force Goff in the mistakes because if you're able to do that and slow down this offense, I especially when you look at teams like the 49ers, the Eagles, the Cowboys, some of your like true heavyweights in the NFC, like I, I think they can go toe to toe with them, especially when you see kind of the blueprint the Bears laid out. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes from there. But like you said, I wanted to kind of highlight in on two of the other pieces on that offense that are really the one two bell cow. I, I think they're the best one two punch in the NFL right now. And that's uh, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Um, Jameer Gibbs, a uh, great pass catching back, a uh, guy that you can kind of hit the outside and he's, he's going to do a lot of great things for you. David Montgomery in between the tackles, uh, he's broken a lot of big ones over the past several weeks coming back from his injury. And my question to you is, and I, I know I already said this, I think they're the best duo right now, but is there any other running back duo right now in the NFL that you'd even kind of put in the same sentence as these two? Uh, Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson? No. Nah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I truly think they're number one. Uh, you've listed some duos here, like uh, Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss. They're pretty good. Uh, Kenneth Walker, Charbonnet are pretty good. A-Chain and Moster, or A-Chain and Moster are good, but all the running backs in that system are good. So it, yep. it, it's, it's a pretty tough one. Uh, Gus Edwards and Keaton Mitchell are good too. But yeah, I think uh, I definitely think Montgomery and Gibbs take the cake there in terms of the uh, – they complement each other super well. Like you said, over the past couple of weeks that Montgomery's had a couple of long runs and Gibbs has had a couple of goal line touchdowns. But the start of the year was different. Like Gibbs would have the the longer outside runs and Montgomery was the – put him down the middle and like just use him as a power back. And so throughout the season, they've kind of evolved and gained each other's skills. And I think that really helps them be just a dominant force. Like – even if Montgomery's in, you have to worry about him taking it to the house. Even if Gibbs is in on a short distance run, you have to worry about him being able to get it because he's gotten used to it now. So it's like you have to pick your poison and live with it once one of them comes in. Absolutely. And there's uh, like Ben Johnson is aware of kind of the mismatches he gets, the looks he gets from different coverages based on film. And he's able to kind of attack defenses from there. And it's, it's cool to see, but I think there's one thing that 
a lot of people don't talk about enough when they talk about the Lions, and it's how good their offensive line is. I mean, they're the eighth best run blocking unit right now in the NFL. Uh, they pave a lot of the the running back lanes that we see. I mean, we saw how good DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams were last year in this offense and behind this O-line. And it's one of those things that if Ben Johnson gets hired in the offseason and he goes to a team with an offensive line that isn't so good, um, I think a lot of people have talked about, oh, well, what if he goes to Chicago? They have a good offensive line, but people have brought up his name and um, potentially being the Panthers' new head coach if we part ways with Reich sooner rather than later. Um, and, and my question would be, would he be able to resurrect our offensive line to look like it was last year? Or if it continues to look as bad as it is, would that kind of unravel any scheme that he would try to put in place? Because I think a lot of what he does and a lot of what other play callers do across the NFL really gets dictated by how they win in the trenches. So that's that's one thing to kind of keep an eye out for. And it's one of the reasons why I like Shane Waldron out in Seattle is amidst their O-line issues this year. He runs a lot of 12 and 13 personnel to offset that, bring in extra blockers. And it's it's cool to see what different play callers will do to offset the weaknesses in their own offense. Yeah, I think uh, Ben Johnson and Shane Waldron are definitely two of, the, two of the best at taking advantage of what they're good at in the league so far this year. And uh, we have some other candidates that are good at that that we want to talk about, and then one that isn't so good with that. So uh, do you want to start with the uh, kind of the good or the bad here in the coach talk section? I I don't know how you blow <laughs> a massive – it was, it was a 27-point deficit, right? Am I am I right in saying that? Or it was it was some absurd deficit the Chargers had. Uh, yeah, 24 or 27, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, I, you, yeah. You're up – you're, you're up massive against the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road in the wild card round. You have five interceptions in the first half, and then all of a sudden you let the foot off the gas. And and that kind of unraveling, when when you have that from the top to bottom, you have to clear people. You, you got to fire the head coach. You probably got to fire the general manager, and you just got to start fresh because that kind of stuff leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and that's exactly what the Chargers have been this this entire year. I mean, the press conference this week – was comical. I mean, Brandon Staley is like on the verge of tears when asked about play calling duties. Like, dude, you <laughs> suck. Like I, at the end of the day, like uh, he, he's he been towards the bottom of the league this whole whole year in my uh, rankings. I think he's 30th at this week. He's not a good play caller. Now, granted, most defenses, the coverage they utilize the most in today's modern NFL is about cover one. And they run it about 38% of the time. And he is above the 50th percentile. I think he's like 68th percentile in cover one. So he's really good in that main coverage. But if you look at how he he kind of schemes up the other coverages that they run, the other per, like pretty much 60% of the plays, he's awful. He's, he's below the 50th percentile. And three of the other big ones, cover two, cover three, and cover six, uh, he's below the 25th percentile in terms of efficiency usage. And uh, efficiency usage, I'm using EPA. But it's one of those things like Staley's not good. Like I, he has a couple unique concepts that that work and they'll catch an offense off guard, but it's not sustainable. And you've seen it come apart at the seams the past two years when he's been at the helm. And not only is he not good, they've invested a ton on the defensive side of the ball oh, so in terms of uh, free agency spending. So and trades too with Khalil Mack. So and JC Jackson was a a blunder there too. It's just. He's given all the right pieces over the past couple of years and still can't make it happen. I think he made his name off of uh, the whole McVay thing. He was able to, to but, give But McVay who was he working trouble. with there? He was working with Aaron Donald. Uh, yeah. And he was working with Jalen Ramsey, that, like superstars. They, yeah. When they had their really good O-line, like their Super Bowl-level O-line with like uh, Von Miller – or not Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Greg Gale. Like when they had actual players on that D-line. And, and in the secondary, too. But, yeah, you take a look now, and his defenses are terrible. You mentioned that press conference where the guy asked him about play calling duties. He says, I'm going to keep calling defenses, so don't ask me that again, all right? Don't ask me that again. Where it, yeah, you're right. He does look like he's on the verge of tears. And I don't know. He, he fired uh, – who was the – Joe Lombardi last year because he can't fire himself. And 
I think Kellen Moore's done a pretty serviceable job with that offense, considering the uh, the drops and the stuff they have. If you look, I think they had seven, six or seven drops against six the, drops, yeah, six no drops against bad. the Packers. Quentin Johnston, their number one draft pick, drops a walk-in touchdown. So it just seems like nothing's going right under Staley. This was a an organization you talked about last offseason that could have gone after um, what's the name, Sean Payton, maybe. But uh, they chose to stay with Staley, much to your chagrin. You de- you were uh, I want to like highlight you calling this out because you were right on the money. But uh, they're just they're not going anywhere with Staley, and I think that he is going to be one of the coaches that gets chopped at the end of the year because they are negative right now, and you have their schedule somewhere. We were talking about it pre-recording. It doesn't look good. No, it it doesn't look good, and I we'll, we'll get into the schedule, and then we'll get into kind of some of the front office stuff that's much maligned and was they they needed a clean house this past off season, and instead of doing that, they doubled down, and it's it's just created a whole world of problems. But they're they're going to host Baltimore this next Sunday night, then they're going to be at New England, and New England always gives them a fit. Bill Belichick just owns the Chargers, so even though they look bad this year, it's one of those things that that has an upset written all over it, especially since the game's at Foxborough. Then they'll be at home versus Denver, at Las Vegas, at home versus Buffalo, at Denver, and then their final game of the regular season, they'll host Kansas City. And so four so- division games, the Bills and the Ravens, and then they go to New England. It's and it's not looking good. Like, how, how many of those do you write in as dubs? Like maybe half of those. And in order to make the postseason, which that's the only way Staley keeps his job, you have to win out. And mm-hmm. I, I don't see that in, in their deck of cards. Like the, the, the execution on both sides of the ball, like you said, the drops, like Quentin Johnston, yes, had some terrible drops. But Keenan Allen, I think, dropped two touchdowns despite his phenomenal performance. So it's just there's a lot that's going wrong on both sides of the ball. You have Khalil Mack, and uh, I know I just referenced Keenan Allen, but you have some of these that are just bad contracts and- on their roster. And, and now they, Joey Bosa seems to be go, or he is looking to be going on IR. He's going well. on IR, like he's done. And and you look at cap space going into next year, their effective cap space is right now negative forty two million dollars, and that's before restructuring anybody or cutting anybody. So this team probably isn't going to get better next year. So you're now looking at a rebuild with Justin Herbert, who. I mean, is is a top five, top ten quarterback. I understand all the memes about Mr. Hypothetical Man. He's a good quarterback, but he's being wasted right now because, again, just incompetence with the front office, incompetence with the coaching staff. And this is why, exactly like you pointed out, I wanted them to bring in Sean Payton. Maybe he doesn't have a better offense than Kellen Moore. You, you might have me there. But he'd at least bring a lot more stability to that team than they have right now under Staley. I mean, yeah, look what they're doing with the Broncos. The Broncos were probably – the laughing stock of the NFL last year, and he has them rolling. They've won four in a row. Uh, yeah, four in a row now, and they've beaten teams like the Chiefs, the Bills, the Broncos are rolling. And I, 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 I hate to say it because I hate Sean Payton and all the Bounty Gate stuff, but he's the reason that they're improving so much this year. He is. He's he's a big reason for that, and and coaching matters. That's that whole point. And leading into a guy that has done more with less. It's the guy that actually replaced Brandon Staley as the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. He was part of that Super Bowl run that they had a couple years back. And it's Raheem Morris. He he actually has prior head coaching experience. I think he was a defensive coordinator under John Gruden back in the day. I might be wrong about that, so don't quote me on that. Um, but he, he ranks seventh in my play calling rankings compared to the 30th that Brandon Saley is. And the, the cool thing about him is that if, if you were to look at that, that defensive roster, uh, even now that we're over halfway through the season, there might be two or three guys you name on that defense. And one of them's Aaron Donald. The other guy might be a killer Witherspoon. Uh, you might you might get uh, John Johnson or jo- Jordan Fuller in the secondary, but there aren't a lot of like big names on this defense, and he's he has them playing really well together. They 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 keep everything in front of them. Um, they aren't necessarily uh, the best at creating negative plays or turnovers, but they're one of those defenses that makes you earn it. And it's, it's very cool to see a coordinator actually utilize who he has, similar to what Brian Flores is doing in Minnesota. We've talked about him on this uh, show a couple weeks. Uh, it's the same thing with Raheem Morris. He's doing a great job in Los Angeles. He's the reason why they're in the wild card hunt right now. 
Um, and it's it's cool to see. This is a team that I thought was uh, going to be in contention for a top five pick, and that has not been the case. And that is a product of how their coaching staff operates. Absolutely. You talk about, can you name anybody on the defense? Going into the season when we did our NFC West thing, we said the same thing. It was like, we have Aaron Donald and name somebody else. And we couldn't do it. And it, we still can't do it. I mean, like you said, you might know Akello Witherspoon or Byron Young the, that they drafted. But yep. there's still, it's not a lot of uh, big names. It's not a lot of super high coveted and high drafted talent. But he's making it work. And that's what's important here. Because like you talk about Brandon Staley, who made his name being McVay's guy there. And he goes and leaves and struggles with all the uh, the infrastructure and defensive spending that they have there. He's paling in comparison to a guy who's doing it with, I don't want to say nobody's because and being an NFL player is like re- very impressive in its own right, but he's doing it with not so high defensive spending compared to the Chargers. And that's with Aaron Donald's enormous cap hit. It is. And I, I think they might have some dead cap uh, hanging over from the Jalen Ramsey trade. Mm-hmm. Um but like, like you said, in terms of like talent that's on the field, they don't have a lot invested outside of Aaron Donald. And it's cool to see. I mean, he's he's definitely a game wrecker. He's one of those things that he he does help and elevate the guys around him. But if that's the only guy on 11-on-11 game, like it's one of those things like this is impressive what Raheem Morris is doing, and he deserves a lot of credit. And a guy um, that also um, deserves some attention from us is a guy that – replaced Ken Dorsey. Uh, He was fired last week. We talked about it. Um, But his replacement, offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers when Matt Rule came to town, Joe Brady, uh, he he did pretty well. They they put a 30-point burger on the New York Jets' stout defense. Uh, They had a big wide receiver touchdown to Khalil Shakir. I think that was like the first Jets touchdown that they've allowed to a wide receiver outside of Stephon Diggs. Uh, in the past like 14 games like it's it's impressive that uh the bills were able to kind of get some of those looks uh when we were watching the game live we noticed that they had a lot of uh kind of dump offs the running backs in space and that's how they generated a lot of their yak and and some of their explosive plays so it was kind of cool to see they had a lower success rate on the day but you'd expect that against a stout uh jets defense that can kind of get after the quarterback down in and down out Yeah, I liked some of the concepts that Joe Brady brought here when he was here, uh, especially in the passing game, even though like he and Matt Rule had their differences on what what the uh, offensive identity was supposed to be. But he made it work during this first Bills or during his tenure with the Bills as their play caller in his first game. I'm curious to see how he does the rest of the year, because I believe he still would rank below Ken Dorsey in your rankings. Yeah. even with his performance last week. He would. Ken, Ken Dorsey mm-hmm. is still top five based on what he's done. I was trying to pull it up this morning to see some of the EPA numbers of the week one against the Jets um, to see how that looks. Um, but overall, yes, uh, Joe Brady was ninth in the play caller rankings. Ken Dorsey is still top five. So until Joe Brady kind of cracks that top five, which they're scheduled, they have a couple easier defenses they'll go up against. And he'll have his opportunities kind of boost his stock. But for now, right now, Ken Dorsey is still ranked higher. Yeah, and that uh, week one game, I'm sure the EPA is submarined by a lot of the interceptions that Allen had in that one. Well, like uh, Those one was an arm punts, one, but yeah. there, there, was, uh, there were two that were just super bad yeah. that he didn't need to do. But yeah, other than that, yeah, I would say he had a pretty good game in his first game calling plays uh, for his second franchise. Going from the best play callers... Uh, or some of the best play callers, we did go over Brandon Staley, (laughs) Um, to best performances. This was one of the guys that we talked about in the opening segment. Micah Parsons uh, absolutely terrorized Bryce Young on Sunday. He had two and a half sacks. Uh, Whether it was off the edge or interior uh, pressure, he he was able to get after the quarterback. And it it, it wasn't fun to see being a Panthers fan, but as a sports fan, it's kind of cool to see kind of that dominance that there are players around the NFL that they can just win their one-on-one matchups and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. He's a complete game wrecker. Uh, there was footage of him throwing up on the sidelines and it's, he said he took C4, you know, the pre-workout before the game, which is absolutely insane, but he was still able to dominate with like a ton of pre-workout in the system for 
I still don't know what reason he did that, but he's one of the best out there for sure. Uh, if he's not the best, he's second best, and that's because we have to talk about another guy who dominated this week, and that's Miles Garrett. He had another two-sack game. This seems like something regular for him at this point. I believe he's up to the league lead in sacks, and I think he has the sole lead now with 13. He's just going crazy. Uh, probably like the the leader for defensive player of the year this year, right? He's he's the leader of defensive player of the year uh, with what we'll get into the MVP conversation. We've kind of already alluded to this. It's one of those things where quarterback play is down. So it's like, is this a year that if Miles Garrett breaks the sack record, does he put himself in that MVP conversation? I think there's there's honestly an argument. And the, the argument I would make is that top defenses by series conversion rate. So pretty much how often is an offense able to get a first down? Since through week 11, since 1999, the Browns are the top defense and their score is better than the 2019 Patriots, the 2005 Bears, the 2002 Bucks, like uh, 2006 Bears. Like I, I can keep going down the list of some of these great defenses that just stopped offenses in their tracks and the Browns dust them all. And so if they can kind of continue that, like, Miles Garrett leading the best defense with pretty much like a, a offense that can't do anything. Like they, they get in their way more than anything that, that, that if this was an average or competent offense, we'd be talking about this team as a Super Bowl contender, not just a team that's in the playoff picture. And that is, that's crazy. It's one of those things we've talked about it on this podcast before that if any team is going to replicate what the 2015 Broncos did, it's this team and Miles Garrett deserves some credit. So, yes, defensive player of the year. Um, I think if we go down the stretch and quarterback play is still down and the Browns are like they lead the AFC North, they have the second seed in the AFC, that Miles Garrett deserves um, some respect uh, for the MVP award. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's definitely number one for me right now on the defensive player of the year list, and he should be up there for MVP. But another guy who's also a force come, rushing from the edge is second-year player Aiden Hutchinson. He only had one sack, and it was a, a strip sack, force fumble. But he iced the game against the Bears. The Bears were on their, their comeback drive or their last drive, and he sacked fields and ended the game for him. And he's been doing that all year. He had a strip sack against us as well, I recall. on Or not even not a strip sack. The interception. Me, the interception, yeah. Uh, still a turnover there, but uh, that was a really weird play. But uh, he's been – Absolutely dominant coming off of his rookie year where he probably should have won defensive rookie of the year, but Sauce Gardner, Sauce Gardner, excuse me, ended up taking it. But he's he's just been on a tear ever since he's been in the league. I think he's exceeded my expectation and is definitely living up to the expectation of his number two overall selection. Absolutely. He was the guy with the lowest, I would say, or the highest floor, not lowest floor. Mm-hmm. Highest floor out of the edge rushers in last year's draft class. It was one of the reasons why I was really skeptical why the Jaguars didn't take him because it's, you're right, maybe maybe he isn't an all-pro rusher, but he's going to be a guy that's going to get you sacks. He's going to be a guy that gets after the quarterback, and that's sometimes all you need in a defense. So it's been very cool to see what the Lions have gotten out of their second overall pick. Uh, last year, he's really been a huge a reason why we've seen the Lions defense take a step this year. And it's it's going to be a huge part in why they are a contender in the NFC this year, especially in the playoff race. So we'll see how that goes. Moving into the MVP watch, all of the guys that we have on this list, and we've mentioned several of them already throughout this podcast, but all of them have at least seven or more team wins. So this is, this is going to keep a guy like Josh Allen out of the conversation. And like you said, this is an award that typically goes to the be- the quarterback on the best team. Um, and it, why Josh Allen is definitely making a case for being the best quarterback, he's not on the best team. And so that, that leads us into uh, maybe the team that has the number one overall seed right now in the AFC. Lamar Jackson doesn't have all the counting stats you'd probably want for this award, but with a new offensive coordinator, with a new scheme, this is a team that is kind of racing to, racing towards the finish line. Um, the the division's only getting easier. Joe Burrow goes down and he's out for the year. Uh, the Steelers and Browns are completely incompetent on the offensive side. And they just look like the most well-rounded team right now. And I, I would argue almost the entire league right now, unless you wanted to make a case for the Eagles. 
Well, you said uh, the Steelers can't do anything on offense. They did fire Matt Canada today, so that's that can only be an addition by subtraction there. But I agree. Uh, Lamar Jackson, he just wins. He just makes winning plays. They have the number one seed in the AFC. I think they are playing the most competent football after what I saw from last night's game from the Eagles and Chiefs there. Both teams just much maligned on the offensive side. But Lamar definitely doesn't have the counting stats. And this is something we've said all year, dating back to our predictions episode. I thought that he might lead the league in passing yards, but not total touchdowns. But he he does what they need to win. And I think that's more important, frankly, in a most valuable player kind of uh, race than getting all the touchdowns or leading an EPA or getting all the yards or something like that. I I know that my opinion's probably not shared with everyone. They probably want to see the guy with the mo- like the biggest stats win it. But I think Lamar's made the most winning plays and the most correct plays, I'll say, of any of the top QB candidates so far. The only other quarterback that I would I would put in the MVP discussion before a a player that isn't a quarterback would be Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the mm-hmm. team is seven and three. I, I know a lot of people are overreacting to the Monday night loss, and it's the same people who overreacted to the opening game loss against the Detroit Lions. Yes, they have a problem at the wide receiver position. They have a bunch of young guys, some veterans there. That hodgepodge mess doesn't always work. But this team, for the most part, has been in a position to win all year. They look like one of the most complete teams all year on the defensive side. And when you have Andy Reid, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Travis Kelsey, you have that offensive line, you'll be able to get things to work. And, I mean, you you look at the uh, Kadarius Tony drops against the Lions. You look at the uh, turnovers by Kelsey and Mahomes in the red zone last night. You can easily point to the fact that this team could have one loss on the year. had it been for their wide receivers just catching stuff or keeping the ball in their hands. So it's it's one of those things. I don't I don't think we should really fret about this team. They are still probably a favorite to be the number one seed in the AFC. And in a weak MVP race, I think Mahomes is definitely a guy in this this race. Absolutely. I mean, he's still the best player in the league until somebody takes it from him. And I think still staying in that number one seed race there will keep him in contention. Uh, however, there are a bunch of other teams in the AFC that are all tied right now. I think it's them, the the Dolphins, the Browns, Jaguars. and the Jaguars. Um, am I missing a team? I, I think it's all them. So it could end up being uh, a Trevor Lawrence if he turns it up. Uh, Tyreek Hill, who we talked about, who could be on pace for 2,000 yards. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, if he turns up his uh, production like it was at the beginning of the year. Or Miles Garrett, who we have on here as well, who we talked about at length earlier, but he's a guy that could be in that kind of 2014, or, or yeah, it was, it was 2014, right, where there wasn't really a great MVP candidate, and it went down to Rodgers and J.J. Watt and, and ended up being Rodgers because he was the quarterback. Yep. But if we have something like that this year, and Miles Garrett breaks the sack record, and let's say Lamar Jackson has the one seed, but he only has like... 26 touchdowns or maybe like 30 total touchdowns like who knows it could be miles garrett's year or it could be tyree kills year if he gets 2,000 yards and like what 15 16 touchdowns yeah that's that's where the conversation becomes interesting because i i completely understand most valuable players should go to a quarterback every single time that's why people have talked about having another award for everybody else which it's kind of what the offensive player of the year award has turned into but if Tyreek Hill breaks 2,000 yards, Miles Garrett breaks the sack record, like why shouldn't they be in that conversation? Because like what we brought up about the Browns defense, they are one of the most dominant units we've seen in a long time since data points go back almost like 20 plus years ago. So when you look at that stuff, when you look at what Tyreek Hill has done and how he's opened up Mike McDaniel's playbook down in Miami, like those are those are really special uh, seasons or could be very special seasons that should garner that kind of attention, especially when we saw Adrian Peterson get the MVP award in 2012 after going for over 2,000 yards. So um, just just something to kind of keep in mind uh, as we go down the home stretch that those guys really, I think, deserve a spot in that that race. For sure. And we are going down the home stretch, and that means another Panthers game, unfortunately, for Panthers fans out there. This will be another rookie QB matchup down in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I'm interested to see how we're going to play. I think the the main keys here are going to be our defensive stars need to perform. I said that last week, and Burns didn't do 
anything. Uh, J.C. Horn <laughs> didn't play. And Derek Brown did have a couple of run stops. But I think all three of those guys, hopefully Horn is back, need to play at their highest level, which I know they're all capable of. I think uh, with Will Levis's tendency to make mistakes and really not really do anything other than the, the downfield shot to DeAndre Hopkins when the defense just somehow lets him be one-on-one versus safety, if they can just kind of wreck the game outside of that, I think we'll have a chance there. Uh, I think we need to give our other playmakers a chance. Uh, we talked about how DJ Chark and Jonathan Mingo both ran 100 combined routes or 100 combined snaps rather and combined for one catch for six yards. I have nothing. Up. I do have something against Mingo, obviously, but I do think <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to like keep hating on the guy, but I just give the other playmakers on the team like 20 of his 60 snaps or something like that. Just like. We need to – obviously, the guys we're running out there aren't working. So just give some players a chunk of their snaps to see what they can do. We saw what uh, Michael Strawn did in the Bears game. We saw what Stephon Sullivan can do. Uh, Ian Thomas is coming back. Tommy Trimble has been one of our most reliable red zone or end zone weapons this year somehow. So it's like – and Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard are both performing well. Raheem Blackshear is a good uh, returner for – like just give everybody a chance, not just the – Thielen, Shark, Mingo, 11 personnel, they all play 99% of the snaps. Just give other people a chance. And then the big one, Smash Mouth Football. It, it worked against the Cowboys. It can work against Tennessee. A point you brought up earlier in the podcast, and a point that I think is going to be uh, really probably the turning point, is how well the Titans' defensive line goes up against our offensive line. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons, Tyre Tart, Arden Key, um, Shakir Alzir or Al, uh, Al Shazir. Uh, did they bring yeah, him in from San Francisco? Like, it, again, did. it's just like this is a, uh, a gaudy and disgusting defensive line that can really just like stop the run with four guys and get after the quarterback with those kind of like same four dudes. And if they can drop seven guys back in coverage on a regular basis, like they'll make this a long day. I mean, this is a team similar to the Cowboys. They, they run a lot of nickel, a lot of dime, uh, not as much dime, but they run nickel 62% of the time, dime 21% of the time. And, but they have allowed positive EPA to 11 and 12 personnel. And those are the two personnel groups I can see us kind of running out of. Like you said, 11 personnel. We need to get some more wide receivers in there, see if we can get a little bit more juice. You get a rotation. You make this more of a group effort from that wide receiver room. You might be able to get a big splash play to Amir Smith-Marset. You might be able to get DJ Chark on a a nice one-on-one opportunity where Bryce has the ability to kind of take a deep shot. Um, Or or work Mingo across the field or in space. Like – like how we're supposed to use them, you know? Yeah, no, and and hopefully we'll be able to deploy tight ends well. Uh, some of the weaknesses that we can kind of take advantage of this tight ends defense is that we're going to have to kind of go after their cover three. Uh, they played around 22% of the time. They're in the 28th percentile when you look at expected points added. Uh, Bryce is in the 42nd percentile against cover three, so that's, that's a plus for us. Cover one's kind of a wash between the two. The one thing that... Bryce is going to have to be careful of, though, is the Titans deploy cover two around 20% of the time. They're in the 45th percentile, and Bryce is in the zero, and I, and I want to emphasize zero percentile uh, when going up against cover two. So it's one of those things that we we got to make sure that we're minimizing mistakes against that coverage. We're maximizing our opportunities against cover three looks. Um, and, and we'll see how that goes. I'm, if our offense is able to run the ball, we're able to take kind of some of those passing opportunities when they're, they're running cover three, this could be a good game. Yeah. I I think, uh, if there's an opportunity for us to win another game down the stretch, I think it'll be this one. Uh, we've seen what the division opponents can do so far to us. Hopefully the other games against the Falcons and Saints. And then when we play the Buccaneers will be better, but I think the, the opportunity that Will Levis presents for our defense is a chance to take over the game. Like like we said, outside of that very first start, where really he didn't do a ton of great things. It was just getting the ball downfield to Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And then since then, he hasn't done a ton of great things. This is a guy we can take advantage of from a defensive perspective. And I think if we can run the ball to set up the pass, kind of like what we did at the end of last year, maybe work in some more play action which has been successful when we run it, but we don't run it. Maybe do something like that. 
that'll help open Bryce up and limit his mistakes. Yeah. And to your point, Will Levis, uh, he's got one of the biggest uh, air air yards or average depth of target in the league uh, over 10 yards. But his success rate uh, since becoming the starter ranks 27th in the league at 40.3%. His EPA per play is uh, abysmally low as well, uh, coming in around 22nd in the league. This isn't a, a great quarterback down in and down out. When he has those opportunities to hit the deep shot, he can hit it. He's got a cannon of an arm. This is something that we knew about this quarterback coming out of Kentucky. Um, but this is something where uh, Evero, if he's able to kind of get his playmakers the, the ball out this week, like you said, if our stars Burns, Brown, Horn, they all show up because this Titans O-line is, is pretty abysmal, is that like – we have the ability that if we can play some of the cover four looks, some of the more exotic looks that Evero likes to kind of throw at a, a quarterback, uh, that's that's where we could force Will Levis into mistakes. He's uh, pretty evenly matched against our defense in cover one and cover three. Uh, the biggest mismatch will be cover two. Um, he's in the 79th percentile against it, so I'm guessing most of his deep shots come against that coverage look. And our defense is in the 31st percentile. So um, that's one thing that if we're going to see explosive plays or Will Levis kind of carve us up, it's going to be in that look. And uh, I think if he kind of throws against some of our other coverage looks, it's not going to look as good. And if our pass rush gets there, it's only going to mean uh, good things for our defense. For sure. I, I hope our defense steps up. I want to correct it. It's Aziz Al-Shair uh, for the right. Titans. Yeah, hopefully uh, we're able to limit their defensive line. This upcoming week, uh, moving forward for the future Panthers section, there were a couple of good games uh, this week. The I think the main one was Washington, Oregon State, and I don't want to like belabor the point of Roma Dunze, but he had another <laughs> banger touchdown. Um, Drake May had another classic Drake May throw against Clemson, like that forty yard where he was like falling backward touchdown. But the two people I wanted to focus on were in the Louisville Miami game. Uh, the first was Ashton. And I, I want to say it's Gillette. It's like Gillette, but uh, there's an O instead of the first E. He's an edge rusher for Louisville. He looks like a he looks like a dude. Last year, Louisville had two edge rushers go in the draft, and Yaya Diaby and Yasir Abdullah. And I was pretty high on Abdullah. I think Gillette can be a bit better than both of them, so that's the guy to look out for. And then Leonard Taylor, uh, the defensive lineman for Miami, he didn't play, but he's a guy that's going to be probably late first, early second rounder. And our D-line needs a bit of beef in it. He's a very good pass rusher from the interior position, but more importantly, he's a good run stopper for them. So I know all of us Panthers fans want a wide receiver at the top of the second, but I've been thinking lately it wouldn't surprise me if they make a trenches pick, either the offensive line or the defensive line there, because we clearly need help in both uh, areas, and this is a guy to look out for if the team chooses to go that way. Yeah, no, there's there's so many holes on this roster. It's one of those things that I think we got to figure out the issue with the front office. If Fitterer's leaving, uh, the head coaching situation, if Frank Reich isn't going to be uh, with us past this year. Um, so we'll, we'll take it a step at a time. I think adding talent will be great. Uh, either of those guys would be a blessing to have on this offense. Uh, and speaking of blessings or things to be grateful for, I my perfect take for this week as we wrap up this episode is that all three favored teams playing on Thanksgiving, so that's the Detroit Lions at home against the Packers, the Dallas Cowboys at home versus the Washington Commanders, and actually the San Francisco 49ers are on the road in Seattle, but I think all three of those teams that are favored, they win on Thanksgiving, and they kind of really solidify themselves as the contenders in the NFC outside of Philadelphia. So I think that's what we'll see on Thanksgiving. What was your perfect take as we wrap up? Uh, well, first, I agree with two years, except for San Francisco. I have Seattle winning that one. I think all three home teams actually win on that one, and all three home teams will take home the turkey leg as they kind of establish themselves in the NFC race like you're talking about. And uh, my take is actually, we've talked about how horrible this MVP race is throughout the year so far. And I think that Lamar Jackson is going to start to pull away when they play the Chargers. Uh, they're going to LA, and that's going to be the Sunday night game. But I think they're going to trounce them. It's going to put Staley on an even hotter seat. And I think it'll help establish Lamar as the MVP leader for this season. And uh, we'll... we'll 
we'll post all of our Thursday and Black Friday games uh, coming up soon since this is kind of a long week for football, obviously. It is. No, it's it's going to be great to have football on for pretty much four consecutive days uh, between uh, pro ball and college ball and then pro rivalry ball week. Yeah. On Saturday. Yeah. Th- there's a lot going on and there could be a couple big ups- upsets and uh, during rivalry week. So it'll be fun to kind of stay tuned with all of that. Um, I will say to your uh, Ravens chargers game, I think that was interesting that you brought that up because Ravens have dominated like pretty much every game this year. It will be interesting to see because Justin Herbert kind of rallied uh, last week against the Packers with some of the, uh, big fourth quarter drop-offs the Ravens have had if there will be a comeback in that game. But I, I definitely agree with you there. I think the Ravens win that convincingly, and that'll put us in the Week 12, which we'll catch you guys with next week. So until then, uh, shoot us any questions or thoughts you guys have about the podcast, but uh, we'll catch you next Tuesday.